My name is uh, Ryan Bethay. Um, I'm a second grade teacher at Queen City STEM School in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I just recently moved here this summer. I spent the last four years teaching in Beaufort County at Bluffton Elementary. I'm a graduate um, out of University of South Carolina, Beaufort, fall 2015. Um, as soon as I graduated, I jumped right into the classroom. So um, I had the opportunity to kind of get a head start um, before a lot of teachers were able to get in the classroom that particular semester. So I'm super grateful for that. Um, shout out to Tyron McMillan, who's one of my Call Me Mr. Brothers, who helped me get that job. So um, I definitely appreciate him for, for looking out for me during that time. Um, so as you know, like I just said, um, I'm a part of the Call Me Mr. program. Um, it definitely helped me get a, a an amazing start into the classroom because um, it allowed me to volunteer at schools before I got into my practicum. So I was used to being around kids before, uh, I guess you can say, it was really time to shine. So it was just comfortable for me once my practicum was rolled around. So definitely shout out to the Carbon Mr. Program for allowing me to get that head start um, inside of the classroom. I'm also a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, uh, Spring 17. Um, I'm a father of two boys, Ryland and RJ. Um, and I've been married for two years, or going on two years, to my beautiful wife, Mahogany. So that's just a little bit about me and who I am and uh, some of the things that pretty much motivate me to keep doing what I'm doing and to keep you know, being the best person that I could possibly be. Yes, sir. Appreciate that. Uh, what would you say your greatest memory, one moment that stuck out during your Call Me Mr. journey? Um, I would have to say, it, that's a good question. So uh, one moment that, that pops out to me right away is um, Mr. Jackson, who was over the Call Me Mr. program during the time where I I, I was at USCB and then transferred to Coast Carolina. So long story. Um, but um, long story short, he gave me an opportunity to get back into the Call Me Mr. program to have a second chance at the education field. And so uh, he put me on a probational period, still made me go to all the meetings and he made me go to all the summits and things like that. But he gave me an opportunity when he could have told me no. He could have said, Mr. Bethea, I'm sorry, but there's no spot for you. But he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and he pretty much got me back to where I needed to be in terms of getting that uh, getting that go inside of the education field. Um, so that moment, I would say, changed my life because if Mr. Jackson would have never gave me that second chance, then I'm not sure if I would be teaching today. You know, um, I know some, some people may say, you know, if you really want to teach, you would do it anyway. But sometimes there, there are individuals out there that motivate you to do things that you don't necessarily know that you need to do. And he was one of those people that motivated me to do something that was a little bit beyond myself, but it was something that had a greater cause. And so because he gave me that second chance, man, you know, here I am today um, teaching and loving it. And I'm, I've never been tired of it. So um, definitely I would say that moment pretty much is one that's very rememberable and it pretty much defined, you know, my pathway to finish in the education program and to, to become a successful um, teacher. Some teachers, educators, when you're talking to them, they tell you 
they knew since they were first grade, second grade, that they wanted to be a teacher. That's all they wanted to grow up and do. Right, was right. it like that for you? Or did you find that later on down the path? Uh, could you just go into some of how did you come into education and really accept the calling? Because teaching is, is definitely a calling. Yeah, um, most definitely. Um, I was not one of those individuals who knew that I wanted to teach. Like when I was in first grade, second grade, Man, I thought I was going to be a football player. And then I played football. Well, I played rec football. And I was pretty good. I was a starter. And then I realized that I wasn't growing like my friends were growing, you know? So I was like, dang. And, you know, I'm only 5'7". And at the time, I was like 4'11". And everybody else is like 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, and I'm like, dang, I'm smaller than everybody else. Like, I ain't growing like they growing. So I'm like, maybe uh, this football thing ain't for me. You know, um, basketball, I'm just talking out of my head. I just like, man. I'll probably just be an athlete, you know, growing up. But then as I got to high school and, you know, you have to make those decisions, I wasn't for sure that I wanted to be an educator. You know, um, I was, I don't know what it was, but I was not motivated to do anything. I wasn't even motivated to go to college. And so um, it, something just clicked one day. Um, I, I think later on after I, I finally got into college and, I, you know, I went through some things where, you know, I thought that I could do pretty much whatever I wanted to do on my own and do it my own way. But I struggled, you know, my GPA dropped and I tried to change my major from education. And so basically, you know, I didn't accept the calling that was there for me, you know. And so God pretty much put all those stumbling blocks in my way and said, hey, listen, you know, you're supposed to be a teacher and I see you trying to change your 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 major and do something else and it ain't going to work out for you. And so I did not want to accept the calling, man. It, it was just something where I just had an epiphany one day. I turned 21 and so I realized how down in the dumps that I was and I was like, man, this ain't for me. Like, I'm just, it's, I, I, I thought that I want to be an, ed an exercise sports science major. And so I was like, man, you know, I'm struggling. I'm failing chemistry. I dropped the class. You know, that stuff go on your transcript. So I'm just sitting here screwing up everything that I pretty much laid out for myself. And then, you know, one day I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm maybe I am supposed to be a teacher. You know, my mom had a conversation with me. She said, Your purpose in life is for you to educate kids. And she was like, I saw that a long time ago. And I saw it, but I ignored it. I didn't want to accept it. And so but I had that conversation with my mother, and so I finally, I, I accepted my calling. And ever since I accepted it, everything was pretty much smooth sailing, you know? And so sometimes it takes that, you know? Sometimes you have to go through the worst for you to realize, you know, what's really meant for you. And so ever since that moment where, you know, I struggled and I finally talked to God about, you know, my situation and what I really needed to do, and I finally accepted it, everything was perfect after that. And so sometimes I still can't believe that I'm an educator. You know, this is this is something that is God driven. <clears throat> I'm doing this because God wants me to do it. You know, it's not about me. It's about what he has assigned for me to do in the world right now. And so, you know, and that's just kind of how things went for me, you know, so. That's real. I can definitely uh, relate to that. You talk about your, your college experience. It was definitely a journey. You talk about transferring and 
overcoming those obstacles. Let me ask you this. Uh, what would yeah. you say your best college experience was? Best college experience? Mm. All right. So my best college experience, uh, I have a lot. There's, a lot there's, there's many best college experiences. Um, so it's hard for me to pick the best one, but I can name a few that really meant a lot to me. Okay. The first to me, my first, I would say this is number one, meeting my wife in college. That was my first one. Okay. Because, you know, Miami has driven me to do things that I thought I'd never do. And so, um, I met her while I was at USCB. So that experience definitely changed, you know, my life, you know, we got two kids together and we're married. So that definitely changed my life for the better. And I would say also me and my call me Mr. Brothers and creating that bond with them. Um, Queen, Thornton, uh, Corey Hollis, Tyron McMillan, Willie Terrell, you know, those are some of my closest call me Mr. Brothers who, you know, we became like blood, bro. Um, I mean, like, if you saw me, you saw them. You know, that's how deep it was. Like, all the way to flag football. We won a flag football championship together, me, Corey, and Quinn. And Willie. Willie's on the team, too. So, it just became one of those things where, like, I met lifelong friends, you know, and, and brothers that I thought I'd never meet. And, you know, and we're still, like, click tight till this day. You know, Quain and Corey are my uh, frat brothers, you know. And so... I would say, you know, meeting those people and creating those bonds with them and, and having them, you know, in your circle and especially in times of need uh, definitely was some of the best moments, you know, that changed my life for sure. Yes, sir. I want to talk a little about your classroom some as well as uh, your school. Well, you're going into a new school now, I know. Uh, right, right. Let's talk about uh, where you're coming from and also where you're going. Let's let's uh, take that route. Um, yeah. As far as when you were teaching down here in South Carolina, and also, mm -hmm. can you talk about like just break that down some, and then tell me what you're expecting going into the school in Charlotte? Yeah, sure. All right. So um, you want me to hit on basically my experiences in Beaufort County? Yes, sir. All right. So yeah, you know, I spent the last four years in Beaufort County, and so my experiences there were, for the most part, pretty good. Um, I worked under Miss um, Miss Celeste Levan for a half a semester while I was at Shanklin Elementary. She was she's definitely a phenomenal leader, and she looked out for me. And she knew, you know, I, I walked into a classroom where you know it wasn't any structure. So I'm being, you know, me being this is my first teaching experience where I'm the only one in the room. You know, it was a big adjustment, but she had my back. She always looked out for me. Um, so <clears throat> she definitely created you know, atmosphere for me where I felt safe. And so, and I definitely appreciate her for that. And we we still talk to this day every once in a while. So we kind of built a relationship um, besides, you know, her being my administrator. Um, and then after that, I, I decided to teach at um, Bluffton Elementary under uh, Christine Brown, who was also my professor in college. So I had a, a bond with her before I even stepped foot in her school full time. And so that made, that made it a lot easier for me to approach her about things. And so even like my first year teaching, like my team would ask me to ask her questions. And so 
it was one of those things where I I pretty much showed him like like she's no one to fear like you know like I'll do it. And so by having that bond with her, you know, having that relationship where it was a lot easier for me to to approach her about certain things, especially some tough issues and things were going on in the classroom and things like that. And so she was she's definitely a great leader too. Um, Beaufort County taught me a lot about technology. Uh, it's definitely a technology driven um, school district along with uh, data and things like that. Um, so Beaufort County taught me how to analyze a lot of that stuff and uh, learn about different uh, types of technology and apps and things like that that helped me uh, drive student engagement. And so with that being said, I feel like Beaufort County overprepared me to teach at a different school, you know? Um, there's a lot of things that Beaufort County offered that many places don't offer to a lot of their staff or a lot of the teachers that work in that district. And so I can definitely say that Beaufort County has overprepared me. And so going into a new school in a different state and a different county, different city and things like that, um, I feel like I'm ready. I feel like I have something to bring to the table to help a school build. Um, my current school is a public charter school. So that's going to be a new thing for me to get used to because, and you know, at, in a school district, you know, you usually have a, a curriculum set in stone that all the teachers have to teach and things like that. So, but at my school, you know, it's more of if they have the curriculum, you know, you can use it, but if you don't, then you might have to kind of scramble to, to do your own thing just because that's how funding works sometimes. And so I definitely feel like, you know, Beaufort County helped me to be prepared for things like that because there's things that I know and, and there's resources that I have that I can share with my school and especially my team to, to continue to have uh, success with the students that are at um, my school currently. So I would definitely say that Beaufort County um, over prepare me for this situation and so I'm definitely ready for the school year and to help out as much as that um that I possibly can at my new school okay yes yeah. so at your new school is it going to be a reopen uh in-person class oh no nah. so we're going to start the first um we're going to start the first quarter virtual we've already decided that our first day is actually next Tuesday Okay, y'all starting early. Yeah, Word. yeah. So we're we're getting started next Tuesday. Our principal already said that she doesn't expect for us to teach anything curriculum driven. Uh, that first week, she just wants us to build a relationship with our students, and and so you know that's what I plan to do. So at least for the first quarter, I'll be home still. Um, we do have a certain schedule that we have to go by. Um, we also have a, a sign-in, sign-out thing that we have to do now that I got to get used to. It's like a clock-in, clock-out type system. So it's, there's so many different things that I have to learn really fast. Um, and that would be easier to learn if I was actually at the school, you know. Yeah. So that's going to be the biggest adjustment, trying to learn things while I'm at home and, you know, having meetings with my team on zoom instead of us meeting in person where we can kind of engage a little bit more so but yeah that's that's what that's our plan to start off our school year so have you already put together like activities or something for your students to get to know them have you already started that not yet um that's definitely uh the plan for this week we have our first official staff meeting 
uh, tomorrow. And so uh, once we have that meeting, then I can finally meet with my team and my team leader. And I want to sit down and kind of, well, once we Zoom, once I have a Zoom conversation with them, I want to see what their plans are, you know, so that way we can kind of feed off each other and be on the same page. So, but I do have an idea of what I do want to do. And so until I, I want I'm waiting to kind of hear from them first. Um, so that way we can kind of do things step by step together. Yes, sir. You know, on the college level, I have uh, made my own lesson plans. But just as far as when you're in your own your level and you're working with a team, how what is that dynamic like when y'all come together and y'all are working with one another uh, doing lesson plans or do y'all work with one another? I know you just mentioned that, but like. Are there times where you just do your lesson plan by yourself and then you come and present it to either your administration or the other teachers? How does that dynamic work? Um, I will say that it depends on your school and it depends on your team. But when I was at Bluff Elementary, our team was really, really good about making sure that we all split the workload instead of one person doing every single subject. So I was in charge of math. So I, I would, so all I had to do basically was type the plans up for math for the entire week. That was it. And then somebody titled the plans for reading. Somebody titled the plans for writing. Somebody titled the plans for science and social studies. So instead of one person uh, doing all of those subjects by themselves, we just split it up. And then we did it as a team. And then we differentiated based on our current students. But that was it. You know, the hard work was just typing up the lessons and finding the resources, things like that. And so I was just in charge of that one thing and that was it. And so, but I had to make sure that I had all of my stuff together for my team. So that's where the responsibility piece comes in because if our lesson plans are due on Friday at 8 a.m. to our administration, then I have to make sure that I have stuff in before that. Like I need to make sure that my stuff is in by Thursday night. So that way my team can copy can make a copy of the plans and then differentiate it based off their small group instruction, you know? And so it's so much easier than the lesson plans that I did in college. Like USCB's plan, uh, lesson plan format is super, super intense based off what you're going to be doing in the actual field. And everybody does lesson plans differently. Like some schools do, do theirs a certain way. But as far as for us, you know, we made it work with what we had, and it wasn't. It was definitely not not as intense as USCB. So, I would definitely say, yeah, collaborating with our team helped us out a lot in terms of dividing up the workload for lesson plans. Yes, sir. What would okay. you say your greatest moment with a student has been? A moment that you can pinpoint where it was just like, wow, I can really see that what I was attempting to teach, it came across and the student got it. That moment when it just clicked. Do you have something that you could pinpoint or a story you could share when that took place in your classroom? Man, so many moments to pick one. It's tough. Um, out of four years, I would have to say uh, my first year teaching, I had a student, I'm not going to say any names, but um, he was very, very defiant. Um, he was OCD. He had OCD. So, um, no, what is it? ODD, my bad. Uh, OCD. ODD. And so 
and he would not do his work. I mean, it was it was to the point like the first I would say the first half of the year. Um, if he didn't want to do his work, he would pee up, bro. This man would li literally pee in his clothes. I would have to send him to the nurse to get a change of clothes. Wow. That was his way of getting out of stuff. And so it took a lot of work to get him to do anything in my classroom, but he was so smart. He could, I mean, it was a, he was right on grade level, but his effort kept him back so much. His, his effort because he would not finish or complete any of his work. But then just one day, I don't know what happened. Um, something clicked and I, I finally reached him. It was a lesson where, you know, he, he was engaged and all of a sudden it started slow. I'm not going to say that he was just like acing through everything. It was still more like, man, I don't really feel like doing this. But then he started putting something on his paper. So I was like, okay, okay, that's baby steps, you know. I'll take that over you not even completing anything at all. And so by the time we got to April, you know, around spring break, uh, it got to the point where I didn't have to ask him to do anything besides, you know, is you know, just hey, just stay on stay on task, you know, complete it. You got five minutes. Let's knock it out. And he will knock it out. And so I think that came from me building that relationship with him and just getting to know him for who he is. And so, it, and then he realized that I really, really cared about him and that I really, really wanted him to succeed. And so he started performing for me. Even though it took the entire school year for us to get there, he still eventually said, hey, you know, this Mr. Bethay cares, so I'm gonna do it just for him. And that's what I told him. I said, if you don't do your work for me, if you don't even do it for yourself, just do it for me. Knock it out for me, because I want you to do it. You know, and so and it clicked and it was, you know, and it was smooth selling for the rest of those, I guess you can say last month of school. So that that was a work in pro progress, especially for my first year. That that moment or that year really tests my patience just because I'm used to my students doing exactly what I wanted to do. You know, they do it, complete it. You know, if there's something wrong, we'll fix it. But when a student tells me they don't want to do their work. And they just not gonna do it, no matter what I say, no matter what I do. That's tough. That's that's that's. I feel like I was getting tried for a long time, but eventually he saw that I wasn't gonna give up, and so he gave in. And and I would definitely say that was one of my uh, proudest moments as a teacher to have a student who did not want to do anything for anybody. Now this is second grade. Didn't do it in first. Didn't do it in kindergarten. Didn't do it in pre-K. And for him to change when he finally reached to me, you know, that definitely uh, left a, a lasting impression on me. Yes, sir. I follow uh, you and your wife as well on uh, social media and y'all are very open and document everything. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see, really. I appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. I, yes, want, sir. I want you to talk some about fatherhood as well as what you have learned from being a husband. Yeah, um, it's it's not easy. You know, a lot of people that are on social media, they only show you the good, you know, good, 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 good. You're like, dang, there's a couple goals. You know, like, they, they're always happy. Man, listen, it ain't like that. That's that's not reality, you know. Um, we have, we've had some, some tough moments, you know. 
we've we've had some some pretty moments that almost define our relationship, and but we got through them. But the thing is, we've learned, you know, through our going what close to well almost six years of our relationship that communication is truly the key. If I'm feeling some type of way, you know, I got to be able to voice that in a way that she is receptive to it. So that way we don't start an argument. That didn't come overnight. That is a hard, I, I would say a hard skill to master. For me to vent or to me to express my feelings and for her to understand like, okay, I'm not trying to, I'm not upset with you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I want you to understand how I feel at that moment without you getting upset. It took us a while to get to that point, bro. But when we got there, everything everything became so much better. And <clears throat> we had to learn that, you know, communication is definitely number one. And there was there were plenty of times where our trust uh was tested. And, you know, I'm not gonna say I'm perfect at all. Yes, I did make mistakes in the past and you know, and I paid for those mistakes, but we definitely had to learn from those mistakes. You know, she's not perfect either. You know, we both made mistakes, but we learned from those mistakes and we continue to grow, you know? And so you have to learn to just sometimes let things go. You know, as a man, as, as men, we are prideful at times, you know, we don't want to be, we don't want to lose an argument. We want to be right. But sometimes, you know, you got to just be right. I'm right. You got to be right in your head and just let her win. And so I, and that's what I've learned to do, just to be right in my head and just let her have it, you know, because at the end of the day, the saying is happy wife, happy life. And that is true, bro. It is true. And I do whatever it takes to make her happy. And I do whatever it takes to keep her happy. And so um, that's kind of how our relationship was built, man. So, but she's my best friend though, you know, I go to her if I'm feeling like, if I'm feeling stuff way about something, then I go there. And same thing with her, she comes to me. You know, that's my best friend. We laugh and play. We, we, we're goofy, bro. Like, well, when we goof around on social media, we do, that's us all the time. That's like 24 seven, bro. It's just, we just decided that day to just post something, but it's like that all the time. It's not a, it's not a stunt at all, bro. It's not. But, um, but parenthood, man, that's, that, that changed us a lot too. Um, especially with RJ, because RJ, you know, that's, that's number one. That's just junior. That's, that's first born. That, um, RJ tested us a lot too, man, because, we, we didn't know how to be parents, you know? We, we were just going based off what I saw. You know, I grew up in, with both of my parents in the house, you know, she grew up in the single parent household. Um, so it was, her views were different from my views. And it was hard for me to understand where she was coming from. And it was hard for her to understand where I was coming from in terms of how we wanted to raise our child. And so we clashed a lot in the beginning with how we wanted to do that. And so it was tough. It was, it was, it was definitely tough, but it got better, like I say, once we started communicating, we we had to talk it out. We had to figure out what was best for our child, no matter where we came from, no matter your background, no matter my background. We really had to figure that out, and we did, and it made our relationship so much better, and it made us it made us phenomenal parents. And now that we have two, um, I I feel way more comfortable have with two kids now because I'm so I feel like I'm so prepared. With RJ, 
and and how we raised up RJ and we still, we're still raising them up. But I feel like we're good to go now. You know, I feel like we're good to go. But being a father, bro, man, listen, it's different, bro. It's 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 life changing. Um, I boo, I boo hoo cry. I ain't gonna lie. When RJ's born, bro, I boo hoo cry. I mean, cry, cry, like. I could not stop crying. She had to come rub my back, bro. I cried harder than she cried. That's how bad it was, bro. Cause I was so happy. I was so happy to be a father. And and I I, I man, it's it's fun, man. I, I love I love playing around, you know. We play basketball. I'm trying to teach him how to shoot. You know, we got his little basketball goals, so that's the stuff I look forward to teaching my teaching my sons how to play sports. You know, I got RJ ready for football. He got he kind of, I mean, he know what the football is. He know how to say down to hood. So that's a start. You know, he know how to put the basketball in the hoop. That's a start. He know how to like move side to side and play defense. That's a start. And so it's fun, man. But besides those fun moments, there are other times where, you know, where RJ likes to kick and scream. So then you got to figure out how to handle those moments, you know. I know how to be the fun dad, but how do I discipline my kid if he's only one, you know? Yeah. So that can be that's that I'm still learning that, bro. I don't know. It's, I don't think it's a book that I can read that's gonna help me figure that out. Cause ain't no kid the same. But it's fun, bro. Don't. But I will say, don't have no kids anytime soon, though. If you can wait, just wait. It's fun. It's definitely fun. But. Just wait it out, bro. All right? Just wait it out. Okay, so let's go back into education. <laughs> <laughs> we got a, that's a segue right there. Back into education. Um, <laughs> let's talk about bringing about change, revolutionary change, <clears throat> as we plant seeds. Um, what's the biggest thing you see right now that needs to be changed within the education system? Um, there's a lot that needs to be changed. Yeah, we can we can go down the list. Honestly, it doesn't have to be one thing. Just, I was about to say. I mean, it's so much that needs to be changed. Um, there are you know there are some matters where obviously the pay <laughs> needs to be changed. We all know about that. Um, Definitely. I, I, I think the education should be put on a higher pedestal than what it is. Um, you know, we are the foundation for every single job in the world. You know, there had to be somebody to teach you how to do it. So therefore, I feel like education should definitely be top priority for everyone. Um, inside the classroom, I do feel like there needs to be more uh, black males in the classroom. I know some people say there needs to be males in general, but no, 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 no. There needs to be black, more black men in the classroom, man. And I, and I would love to see, you know, more black men in the classroom, especially in the elementary level. Um, what Mr. Jackson always taught us was that he taught kindergarten. And he said the reason why he taught kindergarten is because if he can change the child's life in an early age, then he knows they're going he's know, he knows they're gonna be set up for success later on. And so that's kind of my motivation for teaching second grade. I'd rather teach the younger kids because I wonder I wanna be the one to kind of intercept them from going down the wrong path you know i want to be the one that they can think about you know when they make decisions later on in life like dang mr bethane said i shouldn't do this 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 and this so i'm gonna do that so i definitely feel like you know black men have a a bigger presence in the classroom especially in the school setting bro 
and I, I now would love to see more black men in the classroom. Um, I feel like um, there are some, some teachers out there that I wish there was a way to weed them out because I know that their intentions and, you know, as an educator is not the best. They're just there to collect the check, even though it ain't that much, but they're just there to collect the check and they're just destroying these relationships with students. I just wish there was a way to kind of weed that out, you know. Um, I think a lot of te a lot of teachers are failing to build relationships with students of color, and they're looking at them as a nuisance rather than someone that they can help or reach, you know, to change how they're acting. Because um, what I've noticed before, um, being on the PBIS team, I was able to see certain data about my my schools, you know, the behaviors and stuff like that. And there were a couple of African-American students that were on that list as like, they showed the top five. And two of the top five were siblings and they were on that list. Now I know these students because I taught the students at Shanklin before they transferred to Bluffton Elementary. So I know their background. And so there was one particular student that was not on this list, who was a white little boy at this point in time of the year, had sent his teacher to the hospital for bites, um, wow. had put the teacher in the sling, um, destroyed the classroom on a daily basis, um, threatened to kill her, to cut her throat, and went into detail about how he was going to do it. And he was in first grade at the time. And so very, very graphic with how he threatened the teacher was not even on that list for disciplinary actions. And so it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because... I felt like that student was getting a pass. And I'm like, this student is threatening a teacher. He He's not talking back. Like, you're number one and two, those siblings right there, they're just getting written up because they might have said something slick. But if you know how to build a relationship with those students, you can change that. That's, that's stuff that can be nipped in the bud quick. If you just, all you got to do is just show respect and just make them respect you. And they're going to do whatever they you what it is that you need them to do. They're not attacking you. They're not putting their hands on you or none of that stuff. But we got students, there were students that were actually violent students, violent, who had a police. Does the resource officer come to the classroom to pull the student and stuff like that? To that point, was never on that list. And so it, it kind of broke my heart to see that, you know? And so I do feel like the, dis the disciplinary actions are a lot harder on African-American students than it is on uh, other students. And I feel like that needs to be changed. Like all students should be judged fairly, you know, no matter what the uh, the behavior was, no matter what the um, the action was, if it's something that needs to be addressed ASAP, it needs to be addressed. You know, if they're wrong, they're wrong, no matter who the student is. And I feel like there's leniency to certain students than others. And that does bother me a lot. Oh, definitely. It it, um, and it clearly shows like it's a, uh, <laughs> The school to prison pipeline is real. We know that. But as right. well, it seems like certain students are just trying, even at a young age, it's like just trying to get them out the out the classroom, whether it's sending them to ISS, so mm -hmm. any type of suspension like that. And I know uh, just from my personal experience, um, ending up at an alternative school. Right. Now, we know that all students, stuff just comes up. People get in trouble, whether it's on stupid, whatever it may be. But when you look at the alternative schools, especially I'm speaking on South Carolina, 
They yeah. are predominantly black as far as the staff, and they're definitely pre- predominantly black as well as Hispanic as far as the student population. If you walk into mm-hmm. alternative school, you may see a handful of white students, and I'm I'm being generous when I say a handful. Like disciplinary, that's something major right there, and it's not just like uh, a racial aspect of. It's just white administrators that are sending these black and Hispanic students to this, you know, on a harsher disciplinary thing. There are also black administrators that are doing the same thing to black students. So it's like almost a a mindset that needs to just be changed. Like, like you said, it's almost like giving them a pass when these students are doing terrible things and you have another student that something simple they end up getting kicked out of the class where it's almost like the system is against them right and it's and it's sad that that it's like that you know it's it's super sad that it's like that and i definitely feel like change needs to come and i'm definitely going to do my part to be an agent of change you know that's what i have to do i have to be an advocate for those students and so should everyone else. If you wrong, right is right, wrong is wrong. If you know in your heart when something's wrong, and some people just choose to ignore that feeling when they when they clearly see that something's not right. And so, we as educators just have to stand up, you know, for those students who no one else is going to stand up for. And once we do that, I think a lot of things will begin to change. You know, and and I, I truly stand on that. I really feel like things will change once we. You know, take a stance. And we can't be scared to take a stance because I think a lot of people are scared of their administrators. They're scared to to be the out they're scared to be the outsider. But like I say, you know, right is right, wrong is wrong. Stand for something or fall for everything. And I know a conversation that I had with Mr. Hollis, uh Juice, <laughs> as well as you. Um, he told me how the the low amount of students that he had written up or anything like that and i know for you it was similar you said you know unless you really have to like did nothing else is working last but you 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 make steps to um you know do something more productive than just writing them up whereas other students may say you know, that's just their they first step. They may call the parents or something like that first, mm-hmm. but they, they go ahead and uh, write them up very uh, quickly. I want to ask you this. Uh, would you consider or is it something that you're thinking about as far as moving up into administration within the school system? Um, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm still having that conversation with Guy and trying to figure out if that's my next if that's my next venture, yo, I'll be real with you, man. I thought about it. And cause at first I, I did want it to do something with technology, but you know, now I'm, I'm feeling like maybe I need to go into administration. So, uh, still, I'm still thinking, Okay. I'm still thinking of it. It's one of those things where, cause at first I thought I was like, man, I'll never be a principal. I, like I said, I'll never be a teacher. I said, I'll never be a principal. <laughs> Like, I ain't want to deal with that because I don't want to have to talk to parents and they say something slick to me. <clears throat> but now I'm a little bit older than who I was when I first made that, made that comment. So they, my mental has changed for sure. And so I definitely feel like that may be um, something that I, I definitely um, step into. 
Okay, okay, yes, sir. Uh, I have another question for you as well. When you notice that a parent kind of has a, a don't care attitude towards education, whether it's uh, just flat out don't care or they don't value education, you know, that can easily be the attitude of the student because that's the parent attitude. They see that and they experience that, so they feel and think the same way. How do you change that as an educator? Well, one thing that I've learned is that <clears throat> you can't change a grown person's mind. You can't, no matter what you do. If, they, if that's their mindset, it's just their mindset. But I can continue to change that child's mindset, you know? And so if I ever, you know, I, I haven't run into that situation uh, much, but I know if you, um, if I ever did, you know, I, my my goal is to change that child's life, you know? I'm not I'm not here to teach their parents. I'm not here to to really please their parents. But I'm here to make change in that child. And so I I'm a fight 180 days until, you know, change happens. And if and if change doesn't happen, guess what? <clears throat> I still have 19, 20 other kids that I could possibly have reached. And so sometimes you have to you have to look at that. You can't focus all of your energy on one, if you just can't focus all your energy on one thing, on one kid, because sometimes there are other kids that need you too, you know? And so sometimes you just got to be like, well, I'm a still, I'm not going to give up on you, but I know these other 19 kids need me too. And so we're going to try to get this together. And then you might reach those other 19 kids and you got to look at that as a success. You can't beat yourself up for not reaching one kid and if their parents ain't on board, you can't do that, you know, because you might have those other parents of those other 19 kids that love you to death, that do whatever you want to do, that go the extra mile because you want you want their child to succeed. Sometimes you got to focus on that because it's so easy to get sucked down into um, anything that happens that's negative, you know, and you don't want to get sucked down as an educator because if you start going down that tunnel, man, it's hard to get yourself out of it. So sometimes you just gotta look at the good, look at the positive, look at the 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 impact that you're making on on the other kids, you know, that that's what's gonna keep you going. So that's always been my perspective about that. Yes, sir. Uh, big bro, you definitely motivate me and I, I love the energy that you bring. I would I would also like to ask you this, what motivation could you give or advice to first year teachers? that are coming in and dealing with maybe, maybe they have the in-person class if they're in that district or if they're going to be online, just some motivation, inspiration. I want to hear that. Word. So, all right. So to any first year teachers out there, if you're one of those teachers that are going in the classroom, man, listen, just, it's crazy that you're doing this, but just be safe, take care of yourself, follow protocol, you know, and pray every day that, you know, that you stay healthy because that's, that's kind of bananas for you to be in a classroom during a time like this. But you got this, though. You know, I know you're going to be a phenomenal, a phenomenal educator in the right settings. And right now, I do feel like this is it's crazy right now, you know. And But stick, stick it out. Stick it out. This ain't normal. This is nowhere near normal. We're all going through something. and But we're all still doing it. You know, we're all still pushing through. You know, find you, find you somebody that, you know, that, that you can talk to because everybody needs somebody to talk to. And that's real talk. 
for anybody that's uh, that's a first year teacher that's going into it virtually. Same thing. It ain't always like this. It's gonna be tough. And just and to kind of give you some inside scoop. Listen, we all just started doing this virtual thing back in March. It's still new to us. We haven't. We're not pros at this. There is no teacher on the face of this world that's a pro at this virtual stuff. We might be better than who we were at it when we first started doing it in March, but we're no pros. You know what I mean? And so, just you're gonna make mistakes. And if you make a mistake, it's okay. It's it's not gonna be the end of the world if you do. It's your first year. We understand. But stick it out. Just know, trouble don't last always, and that's a fact. And so, and just you got it. You got it. It's, uh, this is only temporary, you know. This is this will this ta- this this too shall pass, and once it does, you'll you'll get to, to reach your full potential, and I know you're gonna do phenomenal and do great things in the classroom. So just stick it out. I gotta stick it out. I'm going on year five right now, and I don't want to start a year like this. But guess what? I'm gonna stick it out, and I'm still gonna try my best to to engage my students as much as I possibly can. And that's what you need to do as well. Engage them, have fun, make it fun. If you make it fun, I promise you it'll be fun. It starts with you. The kids are going to feed off of your energy. If you come in boring and slow, that's how they're going to percept. That's the perception they're going to have about you, and they're not going to respond well. But if you come off with that energy and you show them that you really mean business and you show them that you're really pumped up about it, regardless of the situation, the circumstances, man, they're going to respond to it, I promise you. And you're going to have a phenomenal year. So with that being said, you know, y'all got this. We, we're all in this together. We got each other's back. Yes, sir. Appreciate that. And one final question. What yes, sir. do you want your legacy to be as a educator? I want to go down to history as as Ryan Bethay, the the man who brought in brand new curriculums, the man who brought in different programs for our youth to to have a voice um the man who made change the man who stood up for students when nobody else would you know that's that's what i want to go down as i want to be the type of person that my sons look up to and say i want to be just like my dad you know i know they're going to look at athletes and be like you know i want to be like lebron james i want to be like this person this person but i really want to create such a phenomenal legacy that they want to be just like the dad and they go into the education field too. Um, and I think that would be so fulfilling that to, to see something like that happen. And, you know, and I, I'm not, I don't ask for much to be honest with you, man, as long as I'm making my students happy in my classroom and I continue to do that and I continue to put smiles on their face. And if I can continue to see my students in Walmart and Target and they have to run up to me and give me hugs, bro, that's all I care about, man. So not too much. I just want to be able to change somebody's life and somebody remember me. And I do want at least one graduation to invite whenever they graduate high school. That's it. If I get at least one, bro, I'm done, man. That means I, I've completed. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I just want one invite. That's it. Yes, sir. Thank you. I definitely appreciate you coming on. Uh, you kept it real. You always do. I love, I love our conversations. That's why I wanted to have you on here today. I definitely Man, no problem. No problem. appreciate you sharing your time with me to have have this conversation. No problem, man. Um, anytime you need me, bro, you know I'm here for you, bro. All you got to do is reach out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.